You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Bringing you the best story, best trend, and best game from the best conference. Fourth and manageable. An SEC football podcast. Brought to you by 2400 Sports. Now, here's Brad Edwards. Welcome in to Fourth and Manageable, our new podcast covering SEC football. Uh, we're calling it Fourth and Manageable just because it's kind of a, a, a new style of football these days with teams going for it on fourth down, teams throwing the ball a lot more than they used to. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different world in some ways from, from what it was not too long ago. But if you're in the SEC, it's the same old, same old as far as the teams that are winning the championships are, are coming from pretty much one conference. And that's the conference we're going to cover here, the Southeastern Conference. For those of you who followed me many years at ESPN as, as a national voice, this is an SEC podcast. So if, you, if you're listening, you're not an SEC fan, thanks for checking it out. But just if you're going to stick with us, be prepared. We're going to be talking uh, about almost exclusively about SEC teams show in and show out. And we're going to talk to many former SEC players over the course of the season, including my co-host, former Tennessee quarterback, Tyler Bray, who will be joining me on Saturday nights after all the games have ended. Have ended. Tyler and I will go through all the action. We'll talk about all the, the most uh, important plays, the coaching decisions, uh, you name it. And, and we'll break it all down for you. And, and you'll really get a player's perspective, which is something that you, you don't find everywhere these days as, as far as someone who's been there in that position, getting comments from someone like that on uh, what these teams did, what was good, what was bad, et cetera. So we're going to hash that out at the end of every Saturday night. You'll be able to download that podcast uh, all day on Sunday, whenever it's convenient for you. And, and we're looking forward to doing that as well as regular shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then once the playoff rankings start coming out, we'll have a bonus show for you uh, late Tuesday nights um, that will uh, go through those rankings and give a little bit more perspective on those. Uh, as, as many of you know, I, I spent 25 seasons covering college football for ESPN. And, and over that time, I had the pleasure of working with a, a lot of legends of college football, not the least of which was the coach, Lee Corso. And something happened this week related to the SEC that reminded me of one of my favorite Lee Corso stories. And uh, it was, as far as I know, not a story that he told on the air. It's possible that he did at some point, but I, I vividly remember this as a story that he told in the meeting. From when he was the head coach at Indiana in the 1970s, they were playing, I believe it was at Ohio State. I know it was against Ohio State. And according to the story, his team went up 7 nothing, and he called timeout, he says, before the kickoff 
lined his players up so that they could get the scoreboard in the background, take a picture, <laughs> Indiana 7, Ohio State 0, um, because Ohio State was, I think he said, ranked number one, and, and they were expected to get blown out. And after that, they did. They got blown out. But you know what? It was a photo op. Corso took advantage of it. Uh, whether it's true, I don't know. Lee Corso is one of those guys who's never going to let the facts get in the way of a good story and certainly not let them get in the way of, of entertainment. And it was a very entertaining story. Uh, and it reminded me of, of what I see this week when I look at two things. One of them, the NCAA or FBS statistics. When you go to scoring offense right now, number one in the nation, the Vanderbilt Commodores, 63 points per game. What a juggernaut. It was against Hawaii. Some of you saw it last Saturday night. 63-10 win for Vanderbilt. So they currently lead the nation in scoring offense. But here's the other thing. And those of you who follow the SEC know how unlikely this is. If you pull up the SEC standings right now on, on most websites, the first team you're going to see is Vanderbilt. So if you're a Vandy fan out there, take a screenshot, take a photo, whatever it may be, print that thing out and frame it. Put it on your wall. Keep it forever. Vanderbilt on top of the SEC standings. They haven't won a conference game yet. In fact, Vanderbilt hasn't won a conference game since 2019, unfortunately. 21 straight conference losses. Maybe this will be the year that they break the streak. In fact, they got to feel really good about it after what we saw last Saturday night. But here's the problem if you're Vanderbilt. Going into a season with that type of streak, two of your first three conference games are at Alabama and at Georgia. And those are the two teams I want to turn to now. The teams that are expected to be on top of the SEC standings at the end of the season. Alabama preseason number one. Georgia preseason number three, and in my opinion, the top three, when you include Ohio State at number two, are way ahead of everybody else when it comes to overall talent on the roster on the rosters. And, and and what's really tough for the rest of college football is that arguably the best two quarterbacks in the sport are at Alabama and Ohio State, the top two teams. And then Georgia obviously has a pretty good quarterback of its own who just led his team the national championship last season. So how do you how do you beat teams like that when they have all those pieces in place? It just feels to me like there's a big gap between those three and everybody else. And when you look at the AP top 10, it looks like the voters were just grasping right after that. Now, somebody has to be ranked number four. And Clemson, who they have there, it's as good a pick as any. I mean, you know, Clemson had been up there in that mix for the previous, what, five or six years. And then, you know, last year, Clemson, while it was a bad season by their standards, it wasn't disastrous. They went 10 and three. So I think Clemson's a solid pick for number four, but it doesn't feel to me like they're close to the other three. Then you got Notre Dame at number five. All right. Um, Texas A&M at number six. I mean, AM went eight and four last year. They don't have a returning starting quarterback. Number six, I mean, I guess you got to put somebody there, right? Then you get to Utah at seven, which just seems crazy. Michigan at eight after all they lost. Oklahoma and Baylor round out the top 10, but it just, 
you know, you look at this and it just it feels like there's a very good chance that the SEC is going to continue its dominance of college football. And I know there are a lot of people who may be confused by the recent TV contracts that were just signed by the Big Ten um, worth more money than what the SEC's TV deal pays. And people may be thinking, well, the Big Ten is as good as the SEC, maybe better based on you know what TV's paying. That's about audience size, you know, about ratings, not about how good the teams are. There's a false narrative in some college football circles that it really isn't the SEC that rules college football. It's Alabama. And that is true, that Alabama has ruled college football basically for the last 15 years. And it's historical, the level of dominance that, that Alabama has had. And, and I don't know if we'll ever see another team dominate to this degree over that long of a span. But to act like this whole reputation of the SEC is just Alabama, it, it's it's not only idiotic, uh, but it's ignoring the facts. And, and I'm going to lay some of them out for you right here, okay? I mean, if, if the last three seasons, which included national championships, not just by an undefeated Alabama team, but also by an undefeated LSU team and a dominant Georgia team that lost one game to Alabama. If, if that wasn't enough in the last three years alone to disprove this assertion that the SEC is a one-team league, here's some other numbers for you. The SEC has 18 national championship game appearances in the last 16 years. Do the math. 18 in 16 years. That is more than one team per season. And that's quite a long span, 16 years. Just to to explain to you how that happens, there has been one national championship game out of the last 16 that didn't include an SEC team. There have been three of the last 16 national championship games that were SEC versus SEC. So if you take away Alabama's nine national uh, national championship game appearances over that span, The SEC still has nine others. The ACC has five, four of them by Clemson. The Big Ten has four, all by Ohio State. So you tell me, which conference is actually being carried by one program? It's not the SEC. And I don't don't know that there's a conference out there that has been carried more by one program than the Big Ten has been by Ohio State lately. You know, and, and, you know, here's another number for you. Once again, last 16 seasons, the SEC has 12 national titles. Take away Alabama's six, and they still have six more. The ACC has three. Do you know how many the Big Ten has? How many national titles for the Big Ten in the last 16 seasons? The answer is one the same number of national titles that Auburn has in the last 16 seasons. So back to this season, you know, just if you, if you look at the playoff projections that are out there, they're pretty consistent with the AP poll in thinking that the big 12 is probably not going to have a team in that top four at the end. And there's not a team like Cincinnati from the group of five that everybody's just kind of, you know, jumping on that bandwagon before the season starts. So who's going to be in the playoff then? You know, you got Notre Dame ranked number five right now. Notre Dame opens the season this weekend at Ohio State, and they also play Clemson later in the year. 
I got news for you. If they lose both of those games, they're, they're not making the playoff because they won't be a conference champion. They don't play in a conference. The top two teams in the Pac-12 both open against SEC teams. Oregon is understandably an underdog against Georgia. And Utah is at Florida, which certainly isn't a gimme. I mean, Florida is is not ranked in the preseason top 25. But when you consider, I mean, Florida is a team that obviously has talent. Um, It's an atmosphere that's difficult to play in, not only because of the crowd, but we're talking early September, humidity, and, and an opponent that's not used to playing in that type of weather or practicing in that type of weather at this time of year. If Florida wins, and and if Georgia does, as expected, if if both of those Pac-12 teams lose, you're probably looking at another season without a Pac-12 team in the playoff. So what you really have is a situation where, you know, if Ohio State beats Notre Dame on Saturday, Georgia beats Oregon, Florida beats Utah, I mean, it feels like we're already halfway to another season with two SEC teams in the playoff. And I realize there's still a long, a long way to go. Georgia and Alabama would have to take care of their business. Maybe somebody else in the SEC rises up and, and displaces one of those teams. But as much as everyone around the country will hate it, it, it's looking like another one of those seasons where these teams atop the SEC are going to be right back where you always see them at the very end, and that is – playing in the national championship game and maybe against each other. It's just the way it is in college football these days. So I mentioned earlier that on Saturday nights, we'll be doing a podcast at the conclusion of all the SEC games, and it'll be there for everyone to to download and listen to at any point on Sunday. Um, You can, you can download it on uh, the Odyssey app or, or anywhere you get your podcast. And, that one is going to be a look at Saturday's action from the perspective of a player. And that player will be former Tennessee quarterback Tyler Bray, who will be joining me on Saturday nights and is also joining me right now. Tyler, good to hear from you. I know it's uh, it's been a while since you really focused on SEC football, having uh, been in the NFL for several years after your playing career. But But welcome back to the SEC. Yeah, it's great to be back in the, you know, the college setting uh, from, you know, just getting to kind of just try to focus on Tennessee while I'm at the hotel during games, game weeks to, you know, I'm retired now. So I get to focus more on, you know, college football as a whole and the SEC as a whole. So I can't, you know, can't wait to get back in the college setting. Well, great. I'm really looking forward to doing that with you on Saturday nights. And, uh, you know, we get to second guess some coaches and, and fun stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I I think, as I had mentioned before, we're going to have the opportunity to, to talk plenty about a couple of SEC teams that should be fixtures in the national championship conversation. Uh, one of them is the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about them and this idea of going into a season coming off of a championship. And I, I've heard Nick Saban so many times over recent years, talk about this idea of complacency. You know, when you've set your goals year after year after year to do something special, and and for some teams, you know, winning a national championship is one of those goals. Georgia came so close in 2017, didn't get there. Well, 2021, they got there. And, and now 
you know, you come back and and you try to do it again. They certainly have the talent, you know, to to be up there in contention. What do you think psychologically is is the biggest problem or the biggest hurdle um, that that a championship team has when it comes to repeating, just going out there and doing it again the next year after you've you've already done it? Uh, I mean, the expectations are high. It's either you know you win it all or it's a bust season. I mean, you have your stud quarterback coming back uh so anything less than a championship for them is you know a loss for the season and you know that's that's where georgia was uh from the moment they hired kirby smart the the whole idea was they wanted their program to become what alabama was at that time and alabama has been which is a a perennial contender and and this is one of the things that goes along with that is is having that target on your back and, and Georgia now is going to be able to experience that to the fullest, which is it's not necessarily a matter of talent. It, it's really a matter of of focus and, and intensity. And, and, and so what, what, what is what's your take on college football and especially in the SEC? The, the difference between um, talent in teams and how much of that can be made up um, by one team, maybe the lesser talented team just wanting it more than the more talented team. Yeah, I mean, uh, you see it every year. Team goes out, you know, a huge favorite and just, you know, slips up, doesn't have the best game. The other team plays absolutely out of their mind. And, you know, it's an upset. So, I mean, you look at all the, you know, Alabama coaches that have gone on to coach, you know, at other schools they're expected to come in and be a national championship contender. Like that's why they're the schools are bringing you in. I know uh, when I was at Tennessee, uh, Derek Dooley had been around Nick Saban and kind of tried to bring that philosophy into Tennessee. And, you know, it's tough trying to bring that into a school that doesn't, I don't want to say we didn't have the same talent, but as far as depth and across the board, like we we just didn't have, you know, the talent that Alabama had. And so coming in there and trying to be the, you know, the spitting image of a team, of a Nick Saban team is tough. And so Georgia is going to have to go out there and they're going to have to strap it up and bring it every week or else, you know, they could slip up and that one loss could cost them. Yeah, and look, Georgia – top to bottom on the roster is is there with Alabama. They've recruited that well for a number of years. Uh, they might not be right there with Alabama at quarterback. Um, Stetson Bennett isn't Bryce Young, but he's a very solid quarterback, as he showed us last year, good enough to make the plays when they needed him to win the national championship, um, you know, at, at, at the biggest moment of their season. Uh, but, but now, you know, you, you look at Georgia last year and that defense, you know, one of the great defenses that we've seen in, in modern college football history. So many of those guys gone to the NFL. We, we know they're more talented guys that are when I say there are additional talented guys, not not guys who have more talent than the ones that left. But there, there are other really talented guys who are going to take their places. But if you're Georgia, you can't expect the defense to be as dominant as it was last year which puts a little bit more pressure on the offense. What do you think Stetson Bennett's mindset is going to be like this year, knowing that, you know, maybe you can't lean on that defense as much as you did a year ago. Maybe you have to be a little bit more aggressive offensively and and take matters into your own hands. Sometimes is there, is there a danger of doing too much? Yes. uh, I mean, if he goes out there and tries to be, you know, that Heisman quarterback, 
and, you know, struggles trying to be that guy because I don't want to say he's a game manager, but that's what they needed from him last year. They needed him to go in there, throw maybe one or two touchdowns, and just not turn the ball over. Keep Try to keep the defense off the field because when they're on the field, you keep them rested. I mean, they're they're a tough team to move the ball on. And so if he just stays within the offensive system, doesn't turn the ball over, and doesn't try to you know do too much, uh, I don't see why they wouldn't have a, another shot. And now we go to the Alabama side, uh, which is, you know, you get a team that they expect to be in the national championship game every year. And they were again last year, had the lead going into the fourth quarter and, and couldn't hold it against Georgia. So you're looking at the, the difference in motivation right here between a team that that won it all. And, and now they're having to fight complacency. And then you've got the other side, which is Alabama that motivation of having come so close to the ultimate goal and not made the plays when it really mattered most at the very end. Do you, do you think that the whole idea of off season motivation, you know, being able to have that chip on your shoulder for, you know, seven, eight months as you're getting ready and you're waiting for that next game, the next time to go out there, um, is, is there really something to that, or do you think people just kind of blow that out of proportion? Uh, no, I think there's definitely something to it. I mean, they were very close to, you know, winning another championship and just, you know, let it slip through their hands. And for Georgia, um, it's one of those deals where they can't go out there and play scared because, you know, they now have that expectation of, you know, winning it this year. They have some a key returner in their quarterback. That's one of the biggest things for a college team is if you get your uh, quarterback to return in the next season after a championship, I mean, you, you expect to go in and win. And so as long as they don't play scared, stay within their system, I don't see why it shouldn't be Alabama and Georgia again. The other big talking point with Alabama for a lot of people is going to be their pass rush. And Will Anderson, obviously one of the top players in the country, everybody saw what he could do last year. And a couple of other guys uh, who were very talented pass rushers as well. And everyone is expecting that quarterbacks are going to be, you know, constantly with their head on a swivel every time they drop back against Alabama. Tell us a little bit about what that's like uh, as a quarterback when you have a, a pretty good reason to believe that, that you're not going to have much more than three seconds, if even that to get rid of the ball. I mean, how often do you see ghosts? Like, like even when there's no pressure, you're expecting it and, and you start to rush things. Uh, I never felt like I had that. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, obviously there's guys that, you know, feel that, but I mean, I played against Jadavion Clowney and I never really felt him until the end of the game, the whole game, he kind of just coasted and then the game got a little close and he turned it on. And then, you know, i Felt him a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, you just you can't you can't let a premier pass rusher try to disrupt you mentally, because if you do that, the game's the game's lost before you ever even step on the field. What's your mindset like if you've if you've got a, a tackle that this just he can't block this one guy, and may, maybe you're you know bringing a tight end over and and you're you're trying to help out. Um, what what do you do as a as a quarterback, or is that one of those where you're just you're counting on your your offensive coordinator to 
to bail you out? What type of conversations are you having on the sideline if it's first quarter and and you already think like my guy can't block that guy? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a conversation you need to have. I mean, having a tight end, like you said, a tight end coming over block or a running back coming and chipping him on his way out or even just sliding the line. I know at all levels, I mean, you in the NFL, you play Aaron Donald, you're most likely the line slide, sliding to him every time. So there are game plans going into games that, you know, you have to look out for a pass rusher and you're going to do the things you need to do to stop him because the last thing you want is for one guy to wreck a game. You you want all 11 guys to have to beat you, not just one. Yeah. So when we talk about Alabama and, and Georgia and, you know, their talent and uh, how it, it's fair to expect them to win given all the pieces they have in place, What's it like when you're on the other side? I, I know, you know, you had to face a, a couple of those national championship Alabama teams when you were at Tennessee. And 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 your alma mater now is is well, I mean, it did then, but but at this point where Alabama and Georgia are so clearly two of the best teams in in all of college football. I guess they were in 2012 as as well, when you had to face them. You have to face those two teams every single year when you're at Tennessee. And if you're anywhere in the SEC, East or West, you have to face at least one of them. What does it do to your your preseason goal setting? I I know it's easy to say, hey, we're going to go out there and win a championship. But when you know at least one, if not two of those games, you're going to take the field as a double-digit underdog. do, Do you think about that? Is it one of those things that doesn't really pop in your mind until the game of the you know until the the week of that game, or or does it a, a affect you when you're realistically trying to think of what you can accomplish during the season? I mean, obviously, as a competitor, you're going every time thinking like we can win them all, but realistically, in the off season, I know I've had conversations with teammates in the past when I was at Tennessee, and it's you know, hey, we got Georgia, LSU, Bama. I mean, it's murderers row. And you're like, if we can, you know, get out of there with one or two wins, you know, it's a huge plus. Because, I mean, realistically, when I was in school, I mean, we were underdogs to all those teams. So (laughs) it was one of those deals, like, if we can, you know, get one or two of those, you know, that's a big plus and win for the year. Hey, Tyler, appreciate your insight. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with you on Saturday night. So uh, for for, for those of you who might have missed it earlier, Tyler's going to be with me every Saturday night. Uh, We're going to record a podcast after all the SEC games uh, are are over. It'll be posted late, so uh, you might be better off waiting until, unless you're up late. I know a lot of people are up late on Saturday nights, but but certainly Sunday morning, check it out. And uh, all day Sunday, you'll have a chance to listen to the two of us uh, rehash the day's action in the SEC, and it should be a good listen. And I'm looking forward to doing it, Tyler. Oh, I can't wait to get back to SEC football. It's been it's been too long. So one of the things we want to do on this podcast, uh, every show if possible, is take some of your questions. And I want to start off here with our very first show, our very first question coming from Robbie, who asked, what is a successful season for Texas A&M? Which, which I think is a great question because the expectations for AM to me 
seem unrealistic when you look at the preseason ranking. You know, sitting there well into the top 10 after losing four games all in the SEC West last season. Um, can, and, and look, they didn't even finish in the top 25. I realized if they had played the bowl game and they had won it, uh, they, they would have been in the top 25. But for a team to have finished outside of the top 25 and then be, be preseason number six, that, that just seems like a like a big ask, and especially a team that, that doesn't have a proven quarterback. And I, that's the big question to me with AM. Um, how high their ceiling is really depends on, on how good their quarterback play is. And we saw last year against Alabama, you know, when Zach Calzada played the game of his life, um, they were fantastic and they they pulled a, a huge upset. And, and so we know what their ceiling is, but when, when you look at the Jimbo Fisher era so far, and you know, you look at those years with Kellen Mond um, previous to last year, how often have they gotten great quarterback play? We, we haven't seen it, even though that's what a lot of people expect from a Jimbo Fisher coach team. So to me, that's what's going to determine how good A&M can be is, is the quarterback position. As far as, you know, what's realistic. I mean, you, you play in Tuscaloosa, against an Alabama team that has revenge on its mind after, you know, A&M having knocked them off a year ago. So your odds of beating Alabama in that game are obviously slim. If you don't beat Alabama, your odds of winning the West are slim. So what really are the chances of A&M making the playoff? I wouldn't think that they're great. I'm not going to say that they're completely unrealistic, but they've pretty much got to beat everybody else um, if they're going to have a chance to be able to, to be in contention late in the season. My opinion is best case scenario for, well, not best case scenario, but as far as what would be a successful season for a and I, I think 10 wins in the regular season, 10 and two or better. Um, better is possible, but I think 10 and two is realistic. And if they can do that, I don't think anyone with A&M should be disappointed um, because if if you've got a chance to come back from a 10 and two season with a proven quarterback, and if they're able to get another great recruiting class, um, then you can really start to, you know, to aim bigger. And, and, and to me, that's another reason this season is so important for Jimbo is because of what you just did recruiting, you want to sustain that momentum um, by getting better on the field. If you go out there and you lose four games again, you know, it starts to raise some questions as to whether AM is a place where you can compete for the national title. And a lot of the big time recruits, they, they want to be at a place where they can compete. So I think for AM to have a good season and to kind of sustain the momentum that, that it, it had throughout the off season after that recruiting class, they need to win at least 10 games. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, if that's if that's something that that a and m can do, uh, obviously, their recent history says uh, it's it's not likely. Uh, Dale asks, who is your sleeper team in the SEC? This is um this is one that um, I, I could go so many different directions because I feel like there's just a ton of parody after Alabama and Georgia. I'm going to go with Arkansas, and I realize they are preseason top 25. So I'm not talking about a team that is, that's coming out of nowhere. But I, you know, I just mentioned AM. 
And, and two years ago, A&M had one of those seasons where they lost to Alabama, but then they beat everybody else and uh, ended up with, I believe, a number five final ranking um, somewhere right in that range. And it was a great season. I'm not saying Arkansas is going to do that, but but I think when you look at their schedule, there's an opportunity for that, you know, because Arkansas has a chance um, when, first of all, when you look at the non-conference, you know, they've got games against Cincinnati and, and BYU, two very respected teams um, who could both be ranked at the time they play them. If they beat both of them, they're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of respect for having those two wins out of the league. And then obviously, um, if you win most of your games in the league, uh, you're going to have uh, some really good wins mixed in there too. And, and outside of the game against Alabama, which, you know, is a home game this year, for whatever that's worth, I mean, that you give them a fighting chance. There, there's not another game on there that I look at that I think, hey, you know what, Arkansas has got no chance to win this one. Mark that one down as a loss. Um, you know, once again, I'm not saying that I, I think Arkansas is going to go um, 11 and one, but but I, I, there are a lot of winnable games on there, and and they do have one of the few proven quarterbacks uh, in the SEC outside of uh, outside of of Alabama and Georgia. There aren't many teams that have a real proven quarterback. Arkansas is one of them. They certainly there there's some questions as to who's going to catch passes. There there's some questions on defense. Um, but but in in this league, you know, if you can score, if you've got a a good quarterback and a good offensive line in front of him, I I, I think you can overcome some of the other questions, especially on defense. So um, that is uh, that that's the team that I'll throw out there as one that I think has a chance um, to have maybe a better season than than even some of the people who are ranking them in the top twenty five to start off with might think. Uh, Paul asks. What are the expectations for Brian Kelly at LSU? It now look, there's, there are two parts to this question. One is is year one, and I I would say my expectations um, aren't great for year one. I mean, look, I'm not expecting LSU to have a losing record. They have too much talent for that, but but I'm not expecting the full impact of, of Brian Kelly to be felt right out of the gate. Uh, but but my opinion is that. Brian Kelly is one of the best coaches in college football with what he did at Notre Dame over a long stretch of time. And this was no small sample size. We, we got to see him there for quite a while. And when you look at not only, you know, one national championship game appearance early in his career at Notre Dame, um, a playoff appearance late in his career at Notre Dame and, and, and a lot of his later teams, were just so consistent and and you could just, you could basically count on them to be in the top 10 for most of the season, if not finish in the top 10. And even though a lot of people, you know, say, Oh, it's Notre Dame. Look at their history. They should be in the top 10. I don't think that's as easy at Notre Dame as it once was. Uh, when, when you consider the academic requirements, I, I think it's quite an accomplishment for Brian Kelly to, to do what he did at Notre Dame, and and he really impressed me. And I, I think if I had to point to one thing, it would be his ability to win the games that he was expected to win. Over, I want to say it was his last five seasons at Notre Dame, he lost one game in which he was the Vegas favorite. 
one game that his team was favored, they actually lost. Now, that doesn't mean they went out there and and won by the number of points that everybody expected them to every time. But when they were expected to win the game, they won it. And they pulled a few upsets here and there. But when you go from Notre Dame to LSU, you're taking a step up in talent. Notre Dame has good talent. LSU always has the opportunity to have elite talent. And if you're looking for a coach who can just win the games he should win based on the talent on his roster, you put that guy at LSU, he should win almost every game on the schedule. I mean, outside of Alabama, and maybe if you have a crossover game against Georgia, the rest of them he should win. And that's been a problem for LSU in recent years is, is you know dropping too many of these games against teams that aren't as talented as they are. And, and when you look at long-term expectations, I mean, let's be honest, you know, neither Coach O nor Les Miles, and in my opinion, is the caliber of coach that Brian Kelly is. And both of those guys won a national championship at LSU. And, and you know, maybe this comes back to, to haunt Brian Kelly, and maybe it puts too much pressure on him right out of the gate, knowing that those guys did win a title. Uh, obviously, Saban won one before that. So the last three head coaches at LSU all won a national championship. Brian Kelly, at the very least, should be in the mix for the national championship several times if he stays at least, you know, six years at LSU. I, I just feel he's that good of a coach. They should have that level of talent. And so that that's what my expectation is uh, for Brian Kelly at LSU, is that he should be a national title contender within a few years, and then after that should be so on a regular basis. Um, the, uh, the next question is from Stuart. What does Mark Stoops need to do to get respect? <laughs> and uh, well said, Stuart. Mark Stoops, I think, is one of the most underappreciated coaches in college football. And you, know, you just had the whole back and forth with John Calipari, you know, saying that Kentucky's a basketball school and, and Stoops took the high road and all that. But it, it's true. Um, this is a, this is a sport that is is number two on campus and, and it always will be. And yet, Mark Stoops has, has not only managed to exceed expectations as far as the number of games um, that, that he wins year after year, but, but he also ha has turned a basketball-loving fan base uh, in, into passionate football fans. And, and maybe not to the degree that they are passionate about basketball, but, man, they support this football team and, uh, you know, and, and – People like Stewart get fired up when their team gets disrespected, which is great to see at Kentucky. Um, so I, I think Mark Stoops, when you look at what he has done, the number of games that he has won year after year, and you compare that to what the history of Kentucky football is, um, I, I think he is. I think he, he's one of the better coaches in college football. In fact, I, I, I think he's probably one of the top ten coaches. In the country, if I had to rank the SEC coaches, I would put Stoops fourth. I, I would start off with Saban and then go Kirby Smart. And, and and look, those guys have the most talent. They should win, and they do win. Uh, and and they've they've you know obviously Saban's won a lot of national titles. Kirby finally got one. And then yeah, I just told you what I feel about Brian Kelly. I would put Brian Kelly next um, because he has a little bit bigger of a body of work than Mark Stoops. But then I would go to Stoops next. I, I would put Mark Stoops before Jimbo Fisher. 
I, I just feel like when you look at what these coaches have done relative to the talent on their roster, um, I think Mark Stoops has done more than Jimbo Fisher has, you know, in, in the last 10 years or whatever. And that includes Jimbo's national championship at Florida state, which was a great team. Um, but, but Jimbo's had a lot of teams that have underachieved relative to their talent. And, and I can't say that that's happened for Mark Stoops very often. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Stoops. Uh, I hope he stays at Kentucky. Um, would hate to see him leave the conference, but, um, if he, if he does stay in the sec and go somewhere else, look out. Cause he could, the guy's very good at what he does and he knows what he's doing. Uh, and then the last question we have um, uh, came to us on on Twitter from Goal Line Stand. And, it, and the question is, what does Bryce Young need to do statistically to repeat as a Heisman winner? This is a, one of those. Now, now, for those who don't know, historically, there's only been one person who has ever won two Heisman trophies, and that was Archie Griffin at Ohio State in the 70s. And I think it's gotten to the point now where for the last 15 years or so, when we have had a returning Heisman Trophy winner in college football, I think the bar has in some cases been unfairly raised um, because there is, there's such a knowledge among Heisman voters that Archie Griffin is the only two-time winner. And, and it's almost like a sacred thing among the voters where you are not only going to have to be a fantastic football player and and be um, an upstanding citizen, like a person of really high character in order for them to be willing to give you a second Heisman Trophy, but you're going to have to be so far and away the best player that it's obvious that you just you, you couldn't possibly give it to anyone else. And I think that's where it's going to be tough for Bryce Young because you remember the numbers he put up last year, just insane, you know, passing yards and touchdowns and, and setting school records in those categories. And the reason he was able to do it is because Alabama really struggled to run the ball for a lot of games. And then they had to throw in order, in order to keep winning and, and stay in the playoff hunt. And obviously the huge game against Georgia and the SEC championship as a big underdog, uh, put him over the top and really clinched the Heisman for him. They're not going to have a game like that this season where they're going to go in with very few people thinking that they can win the game. In fact, I would be surprised they're not favored in, in every game they play. And on top of that, I think Alabama's offensive line is going to be better. They're going to be able to run the ball more effectively, and they're going to have more blowout games. Alabama had an uncharacteristic number of close games last year where, where he had to stay and, and throw the ball for almost the full four quarters. I can't see that coming close to happening again. And so I, I think that's the reason he's not the preseason favorite is that people know realistically he he's probably not going to come close to putting up the numbers he did last year. He might be more efficient, but I, I don't think the the raw numbers for passing yards and passing touchdowns will be what they were in uh, 2021 for Bryce Young. And, and that's fine. Maybe his teammate, Will Anderson, will end up uh, winning it if he doesn't. Um, I think both of them uh, have a really good chance to be in New York, but um, his chance, Bryce Young's chance of winning another Heisman, I would say, are very slim for those reasons. One um, is that is that he would have to be so incredible in order to get consideration from a lot of voters to be given a second one, and and then the uh, the realistic chance of that happening happening given Alabama's uh, offensive situation, um, I, I think, is pretty slim. So. 
Thanks for those questions, everybody. We'll uh, we'll do it again uh, on Saturday. Uh, I, I did mention earlier in the podcast that uh, at the end of the day on Saturday, Tyler Bray and myself will be going through talking about all the games uh, in the SEC. We'll do it each and every Saturday. And when we record our podcast at the end of Saturday night, um, we will take some of your questions. And in fact, I think Tyler will probably take more of them than I will um, relative to things that happened uh, in those games. So if you're watching the games on, on Saturday and you, uh, you, you, you see something that you want to get the, the quarterback's perspective on, uh, what did he think about, um, this particular call? What did he think about, uh, this situation, whatever it may be? Um, what does a quarterback do when this happens? Uh, fire it off and we'll have Tyler answer it, or maybe there could be some that you could send to me. Um, but uh, do the same thing um, today that, uh, or do the same thing then that we did today, which is uh, hashtag SEC22. Um, but we'll send out something uh, on Twitter for that on Saturday. But if you're if you're uh, listening to this now, just realize that uh, every show that we do, feel free to send in your questions with hashtag SEC22, including on Saturday. So that's it for our first podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for downloading. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you again on Saturday night after all the games are over. Take care.